Welcome back to the Sporting Around the World podcast, episode 46, Sports in Haiti. My name is Bobby. Joining me as always is David. So David, I got to see the U.S. men's national soccer team play Trinidad and Tobago this weekend. It was an awesome experience, a 6-0 win for the U.S. But the game afterwards at the stadium was Haiti versus Honduras. So there's a lot of Haitians out and about in Charlotte. A lot of Hondurans do. More Hondurans than Haitians. But I don't know, it's kind of cool to see so many people that I just am not aware of this community in the United States. And the Haitians, they're, they're out there in full force, donning their team's colors and just chanting and whatnot. It was cool. Yeah. I imagine it was a very fun weekend for you. And I mean, a six to one or a six to nothing win feels like something that, you know, we probably should be doing to those teams, like those size country teams. But I don't know. We kind of we like to let some slip. So I'm glad we didn't let this one slip. Yeah, it, it was very exciting. And yeah, the tickets were valid for both games. If I didn't have to drive back, would have definitely watched Haiti, Honduras. Uh, people sitting next to us were actually from. Well, they were Honduran, but I think they lived in the U.S. now. They were really nice people. It was just a fun time. So many people from different backgrounds. But Haiti, let's talk about Haiti. That's the country we're covering today. And like always, before we get into the sports of Haiti, I'd like to give a little bit of a background. So where is Haiti? It is in the Caribbean Sea, and it's pretty easy to locate. If you can find Cuba, that's the largest island in the Caribbean. You look southeast, and you'll find another large island called Hispaniola. The western third of that island is Haiti. The rest of the island, that belongs to the Dominican Republic. But Haiti also has a handful of smaller islands around it, one of which uh, off to the north coast is the island of Tortuga. I don't know how much you're familiar with pirates, David, but Tortuga should ring a bell. Yeah, I feel like um, the only thing that's like really popping up in my head is uh, Pirates of the Caribbean movies. But, you know, yeah. Tortuga you know, is a big deal, you know, I guess historically for pirates but it just makes me think of jack sparrow <laughs> yeah i think that's where most people think of it because that was a common setting there but realistically it was a pirate haven um i also just wanted to point out the shape of haiti i've got the picture for you i've seen it described as a horseshoe shape and you've got the gulf of gonave being the body of water i guess inside the horseshoe but to me it looks like the head of a vulture eating the island of gonave I don't know what you see. Maybe like Pac-Man eating a pellet. Yeah, I can definitely can see like a, a bird's mouth like opening. Um, it's familiar, but it's not, you know, like some things, you know, people are like, oh, this looks like this. And you're like, what? No, no, it doesn't. But like, <laughs> I don't know. It, it, I, I see where you're coming at. Um, I have no idea. Definitely like either a bird eating something or like where the water is. It looks almost like, you know, someone's making like like a dog with their hand, you know, and it's like the mouth I is closed, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pu the uh, shadow puppets, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Both very abstract. Yeah, yeah. Regardless, just so you get the idea, imagine like a horseshoe or a crescent, crescent shape. So that's the way the land is. And then there's a body of water in the middle. Now, as you can expect, Haiti is a tropical nation. It's going to be warm all year long, which is nice. But what sets it apart from other Caribbean nations is actually the most mountainous nation in the Caribbean. But then you think about like mountains, where do they form? And you think fault lines. And then you think about tectonic plates and the North American plate meeting the Caribbean plate. And then you remember the 2010 Haiti earthquake and then the dots all connect. Haiti is on a fault line, essentially. And the 2010 earthquake, that's kind of like the first thing that pops into my mind when I think Haiti. 
Yeah, I feel like when it comes to Haiti, yeah, I think of like the DR being right beside it. And then, yeah, of course, like the earthquake that happened there kind of really messed up the country, I think, for a bit, you know, just a lot of damage. Yeah, it, it hit mainly their capital city, Port-au-Prince, which is kind of like right on that fault line, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a big deal when it happened. And uh, was there any like tsunami complications? Because it is an island, you know? Oh, I don't hurricanes, know if there was any... yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, they, well, any Caribbean nation is going to get hurricanes, but yes, they get hit by a lot of natural disasters. Yeah, yeah. Ugh, the price of being in the Caribbean. Yeah, it's unfortunate. And like I said, part of why that earthquake in 2010 was so devastating is that it greatly affected Port-au-Prince, the capital city, which it's kind of like at the base of the, the horseshoe shape, I guess you could say. But it is a coastal city. It's a port city. They've got like two to three million people in the metro area, though. So it's a very crowded part of the country. But speaking of population, David, you know what time it is. Oh, no. My least favorite time of the day. All right. So just for scale, Haiti is a little under 28,000 square kilometers, comparable to the U.S. state Massachusetts. So pretty small. But we'll set the bar for you. 10 million people. Is Haiti's population over or under that number? I'm going to say it's under, and I'm going to I'm going to go above and beyond. I'm going to say it's like six million people. So it's actually over. It's it's like eleven and a half, eleven point six. It's the most populous country in the Caribbean. I would not have guessed that. Yeah, slightly more than Cuba and the Dominican Republic, like within a million, all three of those. But Haiti is the most. More do you know? Yeah, I, you could have told me that, and I would have. I would assume you were lying to me. So <laughs> that's crazy. You know, just thinking of like, and we'll get to this, I'm sure later, but just thinking of like what Cuba and the Dominican Republic have put out in terms of sports and like Haiti, it seems like they don't, you know, you'd have to, you know, in your head, in my head, at least, you know, I think population, you know, would be lower, but the more, you know. Mm -hmm. So like we said, around 11 and a half million people and around 95% of the population is black, many being descendants of slaves. But the rest of the population, you're going to have either mixed or of European descent. And there are two official languages in Haiti, French and then Haitian Creole. Now, if you're not familiar with Creole languages, it's kind of disputed how they originate. But the short of it, you take a common language, say like French in this case, and then over time, they like shorten some words and they kind of make it their own thing. And eventually that language evolves into its own thing. So Haitian Creole is like a derivative of French. Like there's some intelligibility with it, but it is the most widely spoken Creole language in the world. Might be one of the only official languages too for Creoles. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if it was because I feel like Creole is kind of pretty small across the rest of the world, it seems, you know, just like not used yeah. that often. It seems like a lot of Caribbean nations and I guess island nations in general have like a Creole language based off either English or French or Portuguese. Just Haiti, probably the most prominent example. But uh, with that, David, you ready for the quick history rundown? Yeah, sure. Bring it to me. All right. There is a lot. I'll do my best to keep it brief. So originally you have the native Taino people. Christopher Columbus, he makes landfall in the Caribbean. And one of the places he makes landfall on his first voyage was the island of Hispaniola, which includes Haiti. Uh, you know, the Spanish, they care more about the eastern part of the island. They don't really care about the west. So that is why a pirate haven forms in present day Haiti. Just wasn't much governance going on. 
Eventually, the French move in and they formally control what is present-day Haiti in the 1690s. They bring in a lot of slaves, and there's also some free slaves from, uh, I guess, U.S. or wherever else. They come into the country too. But we fast forward to the 1790s. The French Revolution's going on, but so does the Haitian Revolution. Basically, it is a massive slave revolt in Haiti, and it resulted in Haitian independence in 1804. Great. But this is really where things go south. Uh, independence came at a cost. You could summarize the next 200 years of Haitian history with foreign exploitation slash debts to foreign countries, and then poor leadership within Haiti. Natural disasters too, but that's its own thing. Like, apparently the U.S. occupied Haiti from World War I up till the 1930s. I had no clue about this. We, like, rewrote their constitution too to make it more beneficial to the U.S. interests. There was a dictatorship in the 1950s, Francois Duvalier, and then his son, Jean-Claude. Don't know too much about them, but it seems like, you know, dictators you can never be that never be that good and then the president in uh 2021 jovenel moise he was assassinated so haiti does not have a currently serving elected president they have like an interim leader right now but to summarize haiti it is the poorest country in the western hemisphere been plagued by a lot of foreign exploitation as well as just bad stuff within the country regarding leaders and it seems like a lot of haitians have moved abroad yeah i feel like with smaller countries, I, I I feel like we're almost bound to get, you know, some some bad past. And then if you're in, you know, the Americas or if you're outside of Europe, I guess, you know, I, I almost assume, you know, there's going to be a bad stint with other countries coming in and kind of <laughs> doing their own thing. I didn't know the thing about the U.S. either. Like that is uh, I, I don't know why we didn't cover that. But maybe, I mean, maybe we've just had our fingers in too many pies to like, you know, <laughs> go over them all. But uh, right. yeah, kind of kind of crazy. Uh, the, the history of like, you know, these smaller countries it seems riddled with conflict and it's a it can be a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, almost from the get go after independence, like you gained independence from France. Now France is mad at you. But all right, sports, that's what you're here for. Let's get in the sports. We'll begin with the most popular. Any wild guesses what that might be, David? Um, I imagine it's it's football or soccer. But, you know, I've been surprised before, so... Well, no surprises here. (laughs) (laughs) Association football, a.k.a. soccer. Yeah, it's the most popular. Haiti has had a professional men's league called the League Haitian since the 1930s, but it's been pretty intermittent. The thing is, in the past two decades, they've used a two-stage season. So I see this a lot in minor league baseball, and it's common in Latin American countries with soccer. Essentially, you play the season in two halves, so you have a winner for the first half of the season and a winner for the second half, but not all leagues have the winners from each half play each other at the end of the season, so you effectively have doubled the amount of seasons that you've played, and I think that's the case with Haiti. You just divide the season in two, and then you have two champions. I don't know how you feel about that. I'm not crazy for it. Yeah, I um, not not really like my favorite format of all time, you know, the way you described it. Seems kind of weird to have two champions. Yeah, I always understood it for baseball, like minor league baseball, because the player rosters change so much over the course of a season with, you know, call ups and various signings. But I don't know. I don't know why they do it in Haiti. Yeah, I'm just not crazy for the 
the number of champions, especially if they don't play each other like the first half winner and the second half winner. But flip side to that is that no one team has been exceedingly dominant because a lot of teams have been crowned champs of Haiti. But there's still that there's two that stand out among the rest. Racing Club Haitian, 14 league titles and Violette Athletic Club with seven league titles. They're both based in Port-au-Prince, but maybe their most notable achievement. Both of these clubs have been crowned club champs of North America before, which I bet you were not expecting for a club from Haiti. Yeah, no, you, I, I would have assumed you were lying to me if you would have told me that. And like, you were like, hey, do you think this is true or not? And I'd be like, no, there's no way. But that, that's crazy. Yeah. So I'll tell you the story. But first off, listeners, CONCACAF. That is the name of the region for soccer. It's North America, Central America, and the Caribbean, CONCACAF. Like in other continents, CONCACAF has a Champions League. You know, we talked about the European one not too long ago. That's the biggest. Well, North America, Central America, Caribbean, they have their own too. The thing is, both of these Haitian clubs, you could put an asterisk beside their Champions League titles. So 1963... That's when Racing Club, they won their title. It was a regional format. So Racing Club, they won the Caribbean side of the tournament. And they were going to play whoever won the North American side, which in this case was Guadalajara from Mexico. But the Haitian players from racing, they just couldn't get the passports to go play Guadalajara. The match got postponed. Guadalajara, they protested. They filed some sort of complaint with CONCACAF and they were like, oh yeah, sure, Guadalajara, you're champions. But then racing, they counter protested and they're like, okay, okay. This game should have happened in September. It's now April of the next year. You guys have six weeks, find a date and you're gonna play. But the thing is Guadalajara, they already scheduled a European tour. So the final was never played. Racing club are just declared champions. And then 1984 when Violette Same thing, regional format. They win the Caribbean side. And then the North American side was a New York team and Guadalajara again. Those two clubs just couldn't agree on a match date to play each other. And that was just for the semifinals. So they both got disqualified. Violette declared champions of CONCACAF. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, I I was expecting crazy and it seems like, you know, (laughs) that's kind of what we get. And I, I, I feel like that's like, I don't know, kind of expected with, with CONCACAF, you know, I feel like there's a lot of chaos and (laughs) it's not always, you know, what you, what you would expect to happen. Yeah. I guess like 1960s, maybe things weren't as formalized as they are, but 1980s, I just feel by that point, things would have been more organized, but no, you guys can't even agree on a match date. And both of these Haitian clubs, like, yeah, you're champions, but you didn't play in the final and you never got the chance to really prove yourselves you're probably going to be the underdogs in both of those so i don't know you you take it you you can never take away their titles it's true that's true no matter what you you champions yes which is huge Uh, but let's move on to the international level Uh, we said in the intro the haiti men's national team they were playing in the Concacaf gold cup this year Uh, that was their 16th appearance at that tournament so two questions for you david what is Haiti's best finish at the Gold Cup? And have the men's team ever qualified for a World Cup? I don't know. Uh, is it, it can, can I get a hit on the placement finish? Like, is it like higher than I would, have, would probably guess? 
Yes. Okay. Okay. I'm going to say, ooh, I feel like, uh, I don't know, third. And then I'm going to say no World Cup just yet. So you'd be underestimating them in both cases because the (laughs) answers are first place. And yes, they have qualified once before. Those kind of go hand in hand, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. First place, though. Yes. So story there. It was the 1970s. Haiti were one of the best teams in the region in the 1970s. But Haiti, 1973, they hosted what was just called the CONCACAF Championship at the time. It was six teams playing in a round-robin format, and whoever wins qualifies for the World Cup. Haiti, they won four games. They lost one. That one loss was to Mexico. It's just Mexico didn't get the job done against the rest of the teams in the group. So Haiti ended up winning. And they play in the World Cup the next year. First Caribbean nation to do so. And they got stomped. They lost all three games, but they made it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the hardest thing is making it. And it's a pretty big accomplishment to do it, let's say, for the next World Cup. But it's, you know, it's going to be so much easier, too. So, you know, doing it before, you know, getting your first one in when it was a little more competitive. I think, you know, expanding the World Cup is good. And we get to see more teams and it's only only better for, you know, soccer in the long run. But, you know, you did it when it was well, a lot harder. When there was only one spot for North America. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> huge. Yeah. Especially like, yeah, that was Mexico's spot pretty much all the time. But Haiti got it that one time. And I want to mention Emmanuel Sanon scored uh, both goals that Haiti scored at the World Cup. He's actually their all-time top goal scorer for the national team. But he scored against Italy and Argentina. And that one against Italy was their first game. He scored the opener. I, I watched the highlight of it. It was a nice uh, a counterattack. And he was at the head of the attack. Gets a kind of a breakaway. Dribbled around the goalie. Scored the goal. And then they ended up losing 3-1. to one. But he ended up signing with a Belgian club afterwards. After the tournament. And had a pretty good career. So Emmanuel Sanon. Credible stuff. He scored both goals. And that's a legend for Haitian soccer. Yeah, yeah, huge. That's the other thing is Haiti was really an unknown going into this tournament. Like nobody had ever seen any of their players play. And then you score a goal against Italy and Argentina, two of the heavyweights. Yeah, I feel like that's like the sports things that are like really, really special. You know, there's like moments like that where it's like you kind of have no no hope, but like you can still put something on the board, bring pride back home. And for a moment, Haiti is on top of the soccer world, you know, just for a moment. Yeah, just for a moment. I mean, I watched a video on it and it was kind of cool to hear uh, a lot of Haitian journalists and just fans talking about that goal and how it felt that first game. But as for Haiti today, they finished third at the CONCACAF Gold Cup in 2019. Great finish for them. Otherwise, uh, they're 10th best in the region, I'd say. Well, you say this with a lot of countries regarding the World Cup expansion for 2026, but Haiti have an outside chance, you could say. Like, it, it's a possibility. They're just not a favorite, I guess you could say. It's hard. Any smaller population country and just got to get there, you know? Gotta, yeah. <laughs> first Especially step. In, in a top-heavy region. Yeah, yeah. U- U.S., Canada, Mexico, and then the rest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not so much of a walk in the park, is it? Not to say that it was earlier, but, you know, it's definitely tougher now. Yeah. But, David, part of why we're covering Haiti this week, their women's national football team will be at the World Cup for the first time this, well, this month, actually. And they earned their spot, too. 
So they finished third in the regional qualifying group. So that allowed them to advance to the intercontinental qualifiers. And there they beat Senegal four to nothing. And then Chile, they beat them two to one. So they had to go through the gauntlet, but they made it. Their reward is a World Cup group consisting of England, Denmark, and China. So underdogs is an understatement. Yeah, uh, it's looking tough. Of course, England's bad. All right, that's that's not yeah. ideal. But you know, Denmark's no slouch, and China has a billion people, so they'll be able to scrounge at least a you know a decent team together. I imagine. Yeah. So you know, it's gonna be tough, but there's always hope. You know, all it takes is one goal. Yeah, and if you were not familiar how China is at women's soccer, they're actually the two seed in this group. Denmark is the three seed. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, so it's looking looking a little more, a little <laughs> yeah. more hopeless. After we covered Denmark last <laughs> week, saying how uh or two weeks ago, and how they dominated their qualifying group. And uh, best of luck. But what, what I will say with Haiti is they do have a lot of players playing professionally in France. Uh, so they've gotten exposure to European competition. But one player to look out for is Melchi Dumornay, 19 years old, attacking midfielder, and one of the brightest prospects in the world. She scored both of those goals for Haiti when they beat Chile in their final qualifying match. And at club level, she just joined Olympic Lyon. They're one of the biggest clubs in women's football, like maybe even the biggest, you could say, historically. I was not aware that Haiti had a world-class player potentially on their hands. 19 years old. Yeah, I feel like the potential is kind of out of this world when you're that good, so young. Um, We'll see if she can make any big splashes, you know, in in this tournament. And, you know, she's making big splashes anyway, but, you know. Yeah. I don't know. When you're doing it for country, it's it, it feels different, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. And she's already come through pretty big for her country. Expectations are high. Wishing her the best. You'll hear more about her next week. Hint, hint. <laughs> uh, but let's move on to a sport that I feel people wouldn't expect for Haiti, and that's baseball. So fair to assume, Haiti, do they play baseball? Probably not. But David, can you remind our listeners, who is Haiti's next door neighbor? It's the DR, which is like the king of baseball, it seems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, no player born in Haiti has played in Major League Baseball, but there have been people who could identify as Haitian that have played Major League Baseball. So I'll link a story in the show notes for you, but it's from 2017. It was a featured article in ESPN, and it detailed the difficulties that Haitian Dominican baseball players face. So Haitians living in the Dominican Republic what problems they go through. I mean, it was a lot. It was a very long article. Basically, a fair number of Haitians moved to the Dominican Republic in search of better opportunities, because again, Haiti, poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And the Haitians living in the Dominican Republic face prejudice oftentimes. Think along the lines of US and Mexico relations. So another thing is that it's common for Haitian Dominicans to not have birth certificates. And that's a very important piece of documentation if you want to play professional baseball in the U.S. So just due to this administrative red tape, it can be very difficult for Haitian Dominicans to acquire birth certificates. And oftentimes they might fake their identity in order to make the process easier to obtain one. So they might change their last name, make it sound more Dominican, for example. And sometimes when they do this, they maybe make themselves a year or two younger than they actually are. So then their skill level seems more impressive for their age. 
mean, the article goes into a lot more detail and it has uh, some specific stories from Haitian Dominican players who made it to the big leagues. So give it a read. Uh, I'll keep it there for the for this podcast. Yeah, I, it does seem tough. I don't know how I feel about all the other stuff, but it also seems very uphill for them. So, you know, I don't know the the birth certificate changes and then the yeah, I, I, I don't know. I feel like, you know, putting yourself in a situation where you can get a chance, I feel like it's big. But, you know, at the same time, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky subject, I guess. Yeah, yeah. That's why I'll leave it here. Read the article. I highly recommend it because some of the subject matter is a bit heavier talking about like ethnic relations between Haitians and Dominicans, just various struggles that those players might face. But a summary here, though, there have been Haitian players in Major League Baseball whether it be guys that are Haitian Dominican or just of Haitian descent. So some of the names, Tuki Toussaint, Estevan Florial, Orlando Calixte, Felix P.A., awesome last name because it's just Pi in English, but it's P.A. But most notably in recent years is Miguel Sano. He was a really hyped prospect, decent power hitter, strikes out a lot, but he did make an all-star team in 2017 and uh, he was a big focus in that ESPN article. But the takeaway here, there has been Haitian representation in MLB, even if no one born there has made it. Yeah, I I feel like, you know, with the, the struggle that's been kind of clearly laid out, you know, having anyone of anyone you can claim is big, you know, especially in the, the big major leagues. You know, it's it's always great when you have someone there. And I, I imagine they claim them all the same. Right, right. I know Miguel Sano. I think he says, like, ethnically, I am Haitian. I think that's what he identifies by. But the article also mentioned a few older players who are Haitian Dominican. I tried looking into their heritage, just didn't find too much. But George Bell, 1987 American League MVP winner with the Toronto Blue Jays. And Julio Franco, who played for, like, 25 years i want to say he played from the 80s all the way until 2007 so any record like oldest mlb player to hit a home run or do blank probably julio franco has that accolade to his credit so there's probably a lot more examples out there of haitian dominicans those are just two of the names that i recognize like oh those are huge really pretty significant players in baseball history yeah I don't know. In, all, in these country, I mean, in all the country, I'm always learning something. But, you know, still, you know, you've surprised me again, Bobby. Yeah, uh, it surprised me too. Julio Franco, he was like 48 years old. I remember him in MLB 07, the show. I think that was his last <laughs> season, but it was crazy. A guy like I'm pretty sure his grandson attended a major league baseball game that he played at. That's insane. Yeah, like that's <laughs> bonkers. <laughs> yeah. Um. Crazy stuff. Didn't know. Moving on. Another sport, another ball sport to mention. Basketball. Uh, I'll just say, Haiti, they don't have a women's national team. And from what I can tell, the men's national team just doesn't have much of a playing history. Like, no major tournament appearances. I don't even know if they've tried to qualify for a major tournament. Because right now, in the FIBA world rankings, they are 160 out of 161. So that just tells me they don't play many games. Yeah, I, I would make the same assumption. Yeah, I think Eritrea was the only country below them. But yeah, not much with the national team, but like baseball, handful of Haitians have made it to the NBA. 
including some of whom were actually born in Haiti. So in the past decade, Nerlens Noel and Matisse Thibel, they were drafted in the first round. They have Haitian parents. Ska Labissiere, also a first round pick. He was born in Haiti before coming to the U.S. for high school. But a player that I'm familiar with playing those old NBA video games, Samuel D'Alembert, starting center for the Philadelphia 76ers for a large part of the 2000s. He was born in Haiti, moved to Canada, also first round draft pick. But I remember him, he was a really good shot blocker, over 1,500 blocked shots in his career, which isn't crazy, but 35th all-time in block shots. Quality, right? Hey, look, anytime if you're a smaller nation with like, you know, less representation, like having someone, I mean, having someone top third, uh, you know, top 50, that's insane. Especially in like an American sport, an American dominated sport where, you know, maybe less so now, but like previously it's been, you know, strictly almost all Americans. I don't know. That seems great. Like, I don't know. You, you're not going to be able to produce all stars all the time. You know, right. it's just, it's, it's not, it, it's not going to happen. So, I mean, getting like, you know, let's say like, you know, a B level player, you know, I mean, that's, that's a huge, yeah. huge a, win. A starting caliber center in the NBA, like a defensive minded big man. Yeah. Yeah. But one more Haitian basketball player to mention, and that is Olden Polonis. So like D'Alembert, he played center, played in the late 80s and the 90s. And like he was a fine enough player too. He was a starting caliber center. But what he's most known for is when he got drafted. So 1987, first round, eighth overall pick. He's selected by the Chicago Bulls. But the Bulls immediately trade him to the Seattle Supersonics for a certain guy named Scotty Pippen. Uh, you know, little, little known player. Yeah, so Polonese is mainly known today as being on the wrong side of one of the most lopsided trades. Like in hindsight, one of the most lopsided trades in NBA history. Yeah, I, I, who's to say, you know, what it looked like at the time. But yeah, seeing like the outcome, you're like, ooh, that's, a, <laughs> that's an unfortunate situation. <laughs> I'm sure he was like a, you know, a quality enough player as it is, but you know, you pretty much gave birth to, you know, one of the most dominant duos of all time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a hall of famer in his own right. Uh, Pippen was, he was on the dream team. Yeah. And then you traded him for, I guess, an average NBA starting center. We'll say. Yeah. Yeah. Feels real. Uh, feels real bad. Mm-hmm. But maybe more surprising than Haitians playing in the NBA or, Major League Baseball, there have been a handful of Haitians that have played NFL football. Gazdor Sherilis, Vlad Dukas, longtime offensive lineman in the NFL. Uh, Louis Seen, he was part of University of Georgia's national championship winning uh, defense, like part of their really good defense. He's a safety drafted in the first round of uh, the 2022 draft, though he got injured his rookie season, missed basically the whole season. So maybe he's one to look out for, but there are guys of Haitian descent as well. You remember Pierre Garçon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he's of Haitian descent. I guess you can tell from the name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. It makes sense now. Uh, I wouldn't have guessed that, but, you know, checks out. Yeah, yeah. Almost 8,000 receiving yards in his career. And I didn't know this. He, he led the NFL in receptions one year when he was with Washington. I mean, as an Eagles fan, I remember him pretty well because, you know, division rivals, but he, he was pretty good for a little bit. Yeah, didn't he spend some time in uh, Indianapolis? Yeah, I think that's who he started with. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But 
probably most successful of Haitian NFL players is Elvis Dumerville. Uh, so he was born in Miami. Actually, Miami has a little Haiti community. So that's where he lived. His parents were Haitian immigrants. But he played from 2006 to 2017. He was a defensive end and linebacker and played for the Denver Broncos and the Baltimore Ravens. But in 2009, he led the NFL with 17 sacks. Then he tore his pectoral muscle, missed all of the 2010 season, but then he comes back strong, has a terrific career, 105 career sacks, five Pro Bowls, and a two-time All-Pro selection. That's uh, quite the impressive resume. I, I guess he missed... The Ravens won the Super Bowl around that time. I guess he just barely missed it. Yeah, he joined the year after. So like after they won the Super Bowl, he signed with them. The The Broncos would win the Super Bowl while he was with the Ravens, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, big sad. Um, Being a sack leader, tearing your peck, which I mean, I'm sure back then it was much bigger of a deal than it is today. Like I because all the injuries were, you know, it was like, oh, torn ACL, you're done. You're done, kid. <laughs> Now it's like, all right, see you in nine months. So um, just kind of speaks to, I guess, his resilience and mental toughness. And, you know, I think it's a 2009 Pro Bowl. He gets into 2010, right? And yeah. then 11-12 skips 13, but 14-15, that's it's pretty good. Yeah, a quality career. If you hadn't missed that season, I mean, I don't even know how high up he'd rank on like the all-time sacks. I think he puts up like another... 12 would be reasonable and he could have put up another like 17 if he had another career year yes with 105 sacks you know an extra year and coming off your incredible year who knows what you do you know if you get better or you if you sustain it you know that's insane too going you know let's say back to back with two years with 30 you know let's say around 30 sacks that'd be impressive he's not that far off it gets kind of open towards the bottom of the list but he'd probably be you know somewhere in the top 20 with let's say 15 more sacks which is insane. You know, that's, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think takeaway so far is that there have been a lot of Haitians in a lot of American sports, a lot of North American sports that maybe you just wouldn't expect. And uh, I think last week uh, while we weren't recording, I had already told you like, yeah, I found so many people in like baseball and, and football and basketball. And we joked like, Oh, but there's probably not going to be anyone for, for hockey. But David, what if there is, I assume that there is, since you've led it this way, yeah. I assume that I'm about to get a big surprise. There's one, Claude Vilgrain, born in Haiti, moved to Canada, and he only played 89 NHL games, but most of them were with my team, the New Jersey Devils. Uh, it was like the early 90s he played for them, right before we got really good, but still, you wouldn't have expected that. Yeah, no, not at all. I I, I guess the, the, the overarching theme of this episode is I, I have not been putting enough respect on, on Haiti's name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that at all. Yeah, apparently a lot of Haitians, like obviously the U.S., like specifically, you know, southern U.S., Louisiana, Florida, those are common spots. But French Canada, pretty common spot for Haitians to move. But speaking of hockey, apparently there's a sport named ball hockey, which is just the formal name for street hockey, you could say. You don't play with uh, roller skates. You're on your shoes. But apparently there's a world championship for this. And apparently Haiti have participated at said world championship four times. Yeah, that's uh, I also would not have guessed that. Because I didn't know this existed as a sport. 
and it had a world <laughs> championship and that Haiti are competent in it. Yeah, I, I, I guess, you know, the more we learn about these obscure sports, the more we learn, it seems every sport that you can think of has a world championship somewhere. Mm hmm. More of an anecdote for you and me. But when I Googled what is ball hockey, first result for me is that there is a ball hockey league in my city. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I'm well, about to check it out this week. Yeah, yeah, you have to. Yeah. Like literally a 20 minute drive. N no clue. <laughs> That's crazy. So, yeah, I, I imagine it's just standing hockey. Yeah. You said no skates involved, right? So just yeah. like you just running in shoes. Like that seems fun. It's an indoor rink, same size as a hockey rink. Man, I, I kind of want to play that. No. Yeah, I know. That's why I want to give it a go. I'd have to buy like pads. You're required to have a lot of equipment. Oh, okay. but I mean, skates, you don't need skates. But one traditional sport to mention for Haiti is pinga wrestling. Basically, traditional wrestling for Haiti. I couldn't find anything on rules, but I did see some videos and some pictures. It looks like it's derived from traditional West African wrestling, and it looked very similar to Greco-Roman wrestling. So you can't hold someone below the waist. So you see the people kind of like their heads are almost touching and they got their each other's hands on the shoulders, just kind of like gripping. I don't know if you've seen Greco-Roman, you you see the vibes. It was the same thing. Yeah, yeah, that kind of, I don't know. It's just two in shape men, you know, just like interlock, almost like looks like interlocked arms, you know? Yeah, just kind of grabbing at the shoulders and trying to pull them down. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because like when they do that, they keep their butts like far back because they want to keep like the center of gravity and all that. I don't know. Greco-Roman is an interesting uh, form of wrestling. And in Haiti, they do that, essentially. But I don't know the specific rules. I really couldn't find anything. <laughs> but you yeah, know who wins. Uh, That's what we've established with these before. Traditional wrestling, you know who's won. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we're going to wrap it up with the Olympics. Haiti have actually won two Olympic medals in their history. But David, my question for you is... Do you want to guess what decade they won those medals in? Like how far back you want to go? Ooh, uh, I'm going to, mm, I have no idea. 60s? I'm going to say 60s or 70s. 1920s. Jesus. I was going to go back farther, but like, wow. I, you know, I was like, I did like, th just thinking back to how long they've been around. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny. They actually participated at the 1900 Olympics, apparently. And it's been pretty intermittent, but yeah, 1924, first one, bronze medal, men's free rifle team. And then 1928, a silver medal by Silvio Cator, men's long jump. And the thing about Cator is he set the world record in the long jump later that year. And he's a big name in Haiti to this day. The national stadium for like football and a bunch of other sports is named after Silvio Cator, and apparently he was mayor of Port-au-Prince later on in his life. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. That's, that's kind of crazy. I mean, I feel like it seems like, you know, you win a medal. It's such a big deal for these small countries, and it seems like it just kind of blew up his, his, his world. Yeah. I mean, the national stadium is for you, and screw it. You're, you're mayor of the city. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But funny story with Haiti and old Olympics... Uh, I've heard this before, and I had to check that it was true, and it is. 
So in the 1936 Olympics, Haiti is there, and so is Liechtenstein. During the opening flag ceremonies, Liechtenstein notices Haiti's flag and is like, oh, we have the same exact flag. It's just a blue horizontal bar taking up the top half of the flag, then a red horizontal bar. Basically the same shades of red and blue. Apparently that was Haiti's civil flag. So for their their actual flag has the national emblem thrown on it. So to correct this, Haiti was like, okay, we'll just put our national emblem on it. It is now like that's our national flag. This is just our civil flag. Liechtenstein, though, the next year, their government's like, all right, we're going to put a little golden crown in the corner of our flag so we can differentiate. But funny thing that two countries at that time before the Internet just happened to come to the Olympics with the same exact flag. Yeah, yeah, that is funny. And then, you know, just like, all right, slap an emblem. So <laughs> slap something on to, to, to differentiate. It's a uh, kind of cracks me up, you know, with with flags, it's there are some basic designs that, you know, just people have agreed upon that are good for flags. And it's it'd be bound to happen eventually. And so I'm glad to know that, you know, it did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just two colors, blue and red. That's that's pretty. Uh, yeah, I, I guess it is not too surprising. I mean, there's some examples to this day that are worse. Cough, cough, Chad and Romania listeners. You can go look that up yourselves because they are basically identical. But yeah, glad this gun got sorted out. But I guess to wrap things up, uh, just a side note, Haiti have participated at the Winter Olympics. They had someone in alpine skiing in 2022, but no medals and nothing from the Paralympics. But the same sentiment that we've been echoing throughout this, that many Haitians have gone abroad and done great things, it's echoed here too in the Olympic sports. Bruni Surin, born in Haiti, represented Canada, Olympic gold medalist, world champ in sprinting, 100 meters. Wadaline Jonathus, born in Haiti, represented the US, also Olympic gold, also world champ in sprinting. Barbara Pierre, born in Haiti, represented the US, indoor track world champ. Andre Berto, American world champ boxer, he's of Haitian descent. And that's just some of the major ones. I'm sure there are several other athletes out there who are either born in Haiti and then move somewhere else to represent them. Uh, Maybe it's just for the opportunity for athletics, whether it be their family moved while they were children, just in search of better opportunity in life. You could say that it's unfortunate. They go on to represent other countries. Just it is what it is. But I'm sure there's still a degree of pride for those people knowing where they're coming from and feeling proud to be Haitian. Yeah. I imagine it's very tough to make the decision to not, you know, represent the country you're born at. And I, I can't, I don't know what those factors are, but it's still a little consolation prize for, for Haiti to have all that, all that success, you know, elsewhere. Yeah. I mean, multiple people who have gone on to be some of the best track athletes in the world. You've got people in just about every single major sport uh, and including ones that you just wouldn't expect like hockey. But yeah, I guess that's the takeaway here. Haiti have had a lot of quality athletes. So next time that you're looking, especially if you're a fan of North American sports, looking around at names and you see something that's vaguely French, eh, look into it. Maybe they're Haitian. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, it seems like, once again, just, you know, constantly being surprised by Haiti's success. And I'm definitely going to have that like little thing like buzzing in the back of my head when it's like, hmm, that name seems potentially Haitian. (laughs) All right, because I I knew a lot of these people going in, especially like baseball, just 
you wouldn't expect it. But yeah, that's everything that I have for this episode. That is sports in Haiti. David, you want to give us a hint at next week's episode? Sure. I'll say that uh, we kind of mentioned it earlier, and um, it's probably the biggest event going on in the next you know month or so. I guess maybe you could argue a couple others, but this one, this one's pretty big. Yeah, just a little big. I feel like anyone could guess it. We've been hinting at it a lot in our past few episodes. Yeah, I'm personally really excited. Yeah, it'll be fun. Week after, another country profile. A bit of a random one. We're going to Africa. It's not as random as you'd think, because there's another event coming up that'll tie in with why we're choosing said country, but Southern Africa. Not South Africa, but a country in Southern region of Africa. It's one that you probably haven't heard of, honestly. Yeah, that I, I, I'm always excited for, you know, these countries that I know very little about. And so um, it, it should be fun. Yeah, I'll say this is probably one of the countries I know the least about going in. Honestly, this might be the most extreme example of I'm going in blind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, that'll happen more often in the future. Um, you know, there's a lot of countries that I can't do the like Animaniacs country song oh, you know, right, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you know i feel like there'll be a bunch of those in the future and uh, you know join us on the ride learn as we learn grow with us yes uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh yeah thanks for listening if you like the podcast the best thing you can do is share it with people that you think would enjoy it you know friends and family the next best thing you can do is to like it follow it subscribe on your podcast platform of choice we're on most of them Tune in next week. Tune in every week. We've got content for you coming out the wazoo. There's contact info in the show notes if you want to reach out. I think the article will be in the show notes too that you mentioned earlier. Yes. So, um, yeah. Thanks for thanks for being on the ride with us. We, we really appreciate it. Bye. Bye.